0: Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plant. Hey church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for hardcore church planting. You know, I really wish I could do a proper Arnold impersonation. Oh.
1: Yeah, me too. I
0: can't. I've got I've got uh, no well, talent. Let's
1: for see if it. our guest can do any better than us. <laughs> our guest today is Dave Ferguson. Uh, He needs no uh, introduction, really. He's Mr. Exponential. He's also the pastor of Community Christian in Chicago, and he's the ex uh, the author of books uh, such as Exponential. And we're going to talk a little bit about his book, which is an awesome church planting tool uh, for you to hand to people in your community, finding your way back to God. So, Dave, good to have you on Hardcore Church Planting. Welcome.
2: Thanks,
1: Peyton.
0: Thanks, Pete. He remembered my name.
1: How's your Arnold? How's my Arnold? Yeah, can you can you pull off an Arnold Schwarzenegger? I, no. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. How about that? <laughs> just, I, just, I think we're the church planning show where like when you go on, people warn you. No, I'm just warning you. They're gonna ask you questions like this, right? I'm like, who's Arnold, first of all? Uh Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Come on.
2: I, I just crushed Pete. I think uh Arnold must be to Pete what Batman
1: is to Pete. <laughs> <Well>,
0: I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying, come on.
1: <laughs> predator commando the guy's got the 3d copies of that movie so
0: all right well cool well uh before we get started uh dave let's let's go ahead and ask you the question we always like to start off all of our guests with which is tell us a little bit about your story how you came to faith and then how you got into church planting
2: hey the faith. um i'm one of those guys i i grew up in a christian home i um, i grew up i It's somewhat undramatic in that I have a mom and dad who actually, I mean, really love each other. They've been married over 50 years now. They love God. That sucks,
1: Dave. I'm sorry. Sorry
2: about that. (laughs) It doesn't make for a great story, but it makes for a great growing up. And actually, I mean, a pretty, at least, you know, as far as I can tell right now, pretty functional home. And so I really, I mean, I kind of grew up nurtured and kind of like, and I actually grew up in a, my dad planted a church. And it, 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 it was a very positive experience. He was there 37 years. It grew to about 1,000 people, and lots of people came to faith. And along the way, I remember um, for me, there was, it was actually on my birthday, old school. They used to like do a hymn of invitation, and it was a Sunday night, and my dad was up front. I mean, kind of like the prodigal son story, a little bit. And it was like, he's, you know, I don't know what song they were singing, but I had to kind of walk my way up to the front and say, yep, today I'm driving a stake in the ground. I want to say yes to Jesus and in our particular church when they did that. You, they baptized you right then. And I was, I think I was 10 years old. I got baptized. And um, there, of course, there's different progressions along the way. I, I think it was later on, actually, probably around 19. I was actually doing an internship after my freshman year in college at a church. And um, I was, they had me, do you remember the old evangelism explosion? Yeah. Kennedy. They were training me in Evangelism Explosion, and I think actually getting trained in that was the first time I really got grace. Hmm. Mm-hmm. they're like, training me to do evangelism, it was like, I got evangelized. And so, you know, you kind of you grow at different places. But, I mean, so for me, there was definitely a commitment at age 10. that was kind of a drive a stake in the ground. I got baptized and said yes. But I think the place where I kind of really awakened this whole idea of grace was probably around 19 or so. Um, and so that, that's, in a nutshell, my story.
1: Oh, I love it, man. Anything that begins and ends with grace is a good thing. You got that right in your book man it it is uh it it is really a book that's just saturated with the grace of God. I noticed that as I was moving through it that um it's just it it's just testimonies of God's grace and how he graciously goes after people, but it's also an invitation, so I'm gonna let you talk about that. but what actually uh prompted you to write this book?
2: Well, um, my own personal mission statement, I mean, a big chunk of it is to help people find their way back to God. And uh, the mission statement of Community Christian, since we planted, has been to help people find their way back to God. So it's been something that's very much a heartbeat uh, for me personally and for us, for us as a community. Um, we, I had a publisher <clears throat> approach me probably five or six years ago about doing this book, and we actually started doing it. I was, it was a season where I was very busy. I think it was kind of like when we first started Exponential. And in um, full disclosure, he was going to hire a collaborator who would actually kind of do most of the work. And uh, so this guy would interview me, and then he, he would write some, then he interview me and write some. And um, we got, I got the first couple chapters back, and the guy who was the collaborator was a really brilliant writer. And the chapters he sent back to me were good stuff, but it definitely wasn't how we talked about funny way back to God, It was just, it was different. And so I, I told the guy, I said, you know what, I just need to put this on hold and until we can kind of do it the way that I feel like God's kind of shared it through our community. And, uh, and then about a year and a half ago or so, uh, John and I both talking to the same, the same editor, uh, said, okay, I think we're ready to do this. And so at that time, then we actually did it, uh, wrote the book, um, with help from the editor, but without a collaborator this time. And, um, yeah, I'm really pleased. I feel like it I feel it genuinely reflects um, what God's been doing through community and, um,
1: and our passion to help people find a way back to God. So what's really unique about this book from my perspective, um, and, and it's, this is really interesting because this is very rare in books and yet very needed. Uh, my mentor was a guy named Peter Jaffrey, a guy over in the U.K., And he wrote books for either people finding their way to God or people who were newly saved because he looked on the bookshelf. He was in the midst of a move of God in a community that, uh, of course, we're talking Europe now, um, but he could not find books that actually met people where they're at. And what I notice about this book is you're not writing to Christians. You're not preaching to the choir. We don't have enough books that are actually written to a guy who's not in the church from a Christian publisher to say, Hey, boom! This is how you find god and and so you know as I'm looking at this book, you know talk about what why did you write a book specifically for people outside of church uh,
2: i mean there's, there's a few things, but I mean I mean the person that I think God made me to be, I think I have apostolic gifts, but I also think my second gifts also is the evangelist, so to me, there is nothing. There's nothing as invigorating as seeing people make privilege a price for the first time. And seeing them as we talk about it find their way back to God. And um I just I mean, I I I love that. And um and so I think that I think I think I think that was a really, really really big part of it. Did I what what did I got distracted? What did you just say though?
1: No, no, I was just saying you you wrote a book specifically. You didn't write this for a Christian audience. Um, I, I find that to be powerful. And so I mean, yeah, I was a I kinda of
2: lost my train of thought, but one of the things we even did in the book, and you're absolutely right, and you may have noticed this most of the stories in the book are, are people from community Christian church. Um, almost most almost all of them. But we intentionally kind of didn't really talk a lot about church until at the end of the book we talked more about it because right. we know that a lot of people have had bad experiences and we felt like that would kind of put up their defenses pretty quickly. The other thing we, we actually we use scripture. In the book too, but we actually refrain from putting the references except in the footnotes at the end because, you know, people who aren't believers are people who are just. We and particularly, I live in Chicago, so you have a whole like population of people who used to be Catholic, and so I think they represent a lot of America in that you have a lot of people who really do believe in God. Actually, have ninety-two percent of the population that believes in God—a God, a higher power, something like that. Um, but you have, well, you have like eighteen percent that actually show up on a church on Sunday. Now, what's fascinating to me when you start thinking about that, you have 92% of the population believes in God. 18% will show up in church on Sunday. I mean, you have this huge, huge swath of people who say they believe in a higher power, a God, who are craving spiritual things but don't have an accessible way to kind of connect with this God. And so what we try to do in the book was really say, okay, maybe you're not in a church. Maybe you're not, you know, maybe it hasn't been worked for you, but here's a a book you can read that can help you find your way back to God and and eventually into a, into a community too of, you know, believers.
1: And, and it is, it is very well written. I mean, it is accessible for sure. And I, you know, I had the honor of being um, in the uh, launch team and the Facebook community page. And one of the things I've enjoyed the most about that is watching even pre publication where some of the people had their advanced copies, they had given them away. They were actually kind of, I guess, working the experiment to give this to people they knew. A lot of the testimonies that were coming back, that is what particularly inspired me to, uh, to get you on here because some of those stories were great. They're like, hey, they're reading it. Boom, boom, boom. This is what it's led to. This guy's come to faith. Um, that's been fantastic. Yeah, one of the things that was really cool that the publisher did the, for, the,
2: for the first month was they did a buy one, give one free, yeah. which was definitely the spirit of the book. And so we had a ton of people that did that. And actually just yesterday, I got word back from the publisher that they, the response to that offer was, they called it this. It was great. And so, um, so, it, and really, I think it has been, it's, it's it is a tool that um, I think, you know, you can use to give the people. Um, my next door neighbor, you know, someone who's only been probably to our church three times, but they were very excited to get a copy because we're friends, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, and they're interested in spiritual things and, and I know that she is thinking about some stuff because she's had cancer and even talking about her fear of dying and my wife had a chance to pray with her. But, you know, that church is still a weird thing, but that's what I gives her and gives us another form of conversation. In many ways, I, for us at Community in particular, it's been like one more, instead of people, you know, again, kind of the of these having to come to our church, it's like, okay, here's one more way that our, our, our mission gets extended out into the community and even beyond.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that it's coming from who you guys are and working its way out into a book. My my hope is that planners are going to pick this thing up and they're going to use it as a tool and it's going to they're going to read it and get a get a taste for the fact that God is working at all times. And I love the fact that you're taking your way uh you're taking yourself out of the way. You're giving people a private um kind of audience with God. You're not saying, "Look, you need to sit down with me." on a bus stop and read a tract with me, and I need to confront you and say, hey, have you received Jesus today? Would you like to accept him in your heart right now as your Lord and Savior? You're literally taking people on a journey, and that's kind of a theme through the book is the oh, map, yeah. the compass, the idea that people are lost. And uh, tell me, now, it's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of obvious, but, but you use that metaphor of kind of lostness, finding your way. Um, why has that been a particularly helpful metaphor? for helping people?
2: Um, I mean, there's a couple of things. I, I kind of feel like if you take a look at the whole of Scripture, what you have in the very beginning is, and, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but, I mean, just as a reminder, you have man in, in a perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with each other. And what sin fundamentally is, okay, it's not so much a moral, ethical dilemma, although it is that. What it primarily is, it's a relational dilemma. And what has happened, sin actually separates us relationally from each other and from God. And so the sin kind of separates us from God. And so what you really have after, you know, the first couple chapters of Genesis, the rest of the Bible is through the prophets, God trying to help us find our way back to him. Then finally in Jesus and then his church, all these are his efforts to say, hey, I'm doing everything I possibly can to reach you, to help you find your way back to me. And to me, I think what I would call the greatest short story in all of literature. And I think the story that Jesus told, uh, which I think is a meta-narrative for all of our lives, is the story of the prodigal son. Yeah. And I think that story is about all of us finding our way back, to the place where we started, like in Genesis, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other. God wanted to restore all things. And <clears throat> the, the part I like about it is it puts all of us in the same category. All of us are lost and finding our way back. Mm, it's not like you're point, in the church. It's not, you know, it gets rid of all those goofy dichotomies and all of us are finding our way back to God. I'll yeah, tell you what, and as much as we did, and my heart does beat fast for, you know, for, for people far from God, one of the surprising things for me, and, and we'll probably get to it, but these five awakenings, I end up using these in my own life probably every week because the truth of the matter is um, we find our way back to God for the first time But we also, I mean, we find our way back every week and in that there's kind of like what theologians would call initial sanctification. The first time you say yes, like when I was, you know, 10. But, you know, what the truth is, I'm I'm a screw-up. There's things that I do that are wrong, sometimes, you know, unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. And when I start, and if I want to find my way back, these awakenings take me back there all over again. And that's been an important kind of aha for me because, again, that's just, again, that puts me, my neighbor— Everybody, we're all on the same page. It's not like I got to figure it out. Here, here's a book so you can figure it out. No, guess what? I'm still using this stuff. I, I even tell people at, at community I said, it's it's like the 12 steps. You know, they say you, you, you use the if you're if you're an alcoholic, you use the 12 steps to get so, to get sober and also to stay sober. Yeah. And these awakenings, yeah. are like I get them to find God, but I also get them to stay close to God.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and they keep finding him, you know, in deeper yes. and deeper ways. And I. I think that, um, yeah, you mentioned the five awakenings and of course, going back to the prodigal son, he has that kind of, uh, pivotal moment where it says, you know, as he's looking into the, into the pig pen, he, he comes to himself. He he has that awakening. So tell us about the five without, you know, obviously listen, if Dave tells the five awakenings, it's not, it's not like, I don't, I don't need this book. This is a book for the lost people around you. It's a tool, but Dave share with those, those five awakenings.
2: Sure. Um. And in some ways, too, I mean, I'll back up just a little bit. I mean, so, you know, John and I, we planted this church, and this has kind of been the mission statement. So we've seen, like at this point, um, thousands of people find their way back to God. And if you imagine kind of a, a field, and all these people are walking across in a certain direction, pretty soon after enough of them walk across it, you begin to see this kind of well-worn path. And what we notice is we could kind of point people in the general direction. Here's how you find your way back to God. But then, what we did for the book is we actually sat down and we, we grabbed about 25 people. We interviewed them with in depth to the story. We actually videotaped the interviews, reviewed those. And what we began to see were all like, kind of like mile markers on that well worn path, like signposts that, that almost all of them went through these certain, and we call them awakenings, that actually, yeah. and then they also do line up with the story of the prodigal son. Um, and the first, I mean, I, I, you mean just hit them real quick here? Sure, yeah. Okay, the first awakening is what we call the awakening to longing. And the idea is that we have this awakening, it happens in the prodigal son, it happens in every one of us, that, that there has to be something more. Whether it's, like, think about this, like love, for example. <laughs> love is this weird thing where, you know, we, 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 we want to love and be loved, and even when we get rejected, okay, even when we get dumped, even if we get divorced, we still keep pursuing it. I don't, I don't know why we don't stop. And the reason it will stop is because there's this intrinsic longing put inside us by God. And there's basic ones like love and purpose, like there has to be a reason I'm here, uh, making sense out of the big questions of life. And so what we do is we have, that's the first thing. There has to be something more. So we begin to pursue those longings. But then that leads to the second awakening because what we often do, and this is true with your finding your way back to God for the first time or again, is with those basic fundamental longings, we try to fulfill them other ways than with God. Right, you know. Yeah. So instead of uh, love in a monogamous relationship with my wife, you know, maybe it's uh, you know you're clicking on things you shouldn't be clicking on. Um, instead of instead of purpose and and calling um, and and being lived out by following what Jesus wants, I have this drivenness that causes me to work so hard to prove something that it's ruining the good stuff. Now. So we we pursue those longings, and so that leads to the second awakening, which is awakening to regret which goes, Oh crap, this, this is, this, you know, I want, I got, to, I want to start all over. Right. I, I, this is I And right. what we found for a lot of people, John, and I call this the sorry cycle. People, you get stuck in this cycle of longing and then you go pursue it without God and it's regret. And then you think, Oh, well, this is the thing. Longing, regret, longing, regret, and long. And people do that for, geez, I mean, not just months. Some people do it their whole life. And right. so you finally get to the third awakening, which, I would call it awakening to help, which is going, okay, I can't do this on my own. (laughs) And that's where we have uh, a chapter in there called Help Has a Name, and the name is Jesus. And so you, I mean, you really you do kind of, you name your higher power. So, you know, Jesus is the help that I need. And um, that's, I mean, that's obviously that's a pivotal point.
1: No, I think it's good because you're you're not you know you you can have like people come on you know grumpy curmudgeons that come on and say oh man you just you know you're stripping out you know this and that and you need to give them the gospel and it, it's it's as if uh, what what some people think and and I usually find it's people that really don't have a lot of experience in dealing with unchurch or unsaved people uh, maybe they read a bunch of theology books or you know whatever but they think you need to give everybody almost like like an astronaut capsule. Remember when we used to watch like the Jetsons, you take that little capsule and it's got the whole gospel in it. And you need to drop them that pill in every conversation. And what I love is this is a journey. I mean, the, the book uses the metaphor of being lost, talks about the map, the compass towards the beginning. And I found that so helpful because they're going to be on a journey. And that used to be, I used to always hear that term, and I used to always get a little bit grumpy and think, oh, that's liberal talk, you know, a journey, blah, 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 my evangelical roots, you know. And yet what I found is that as Jesus is talking to each person, he's tailoring his message for them uniquely, individually. Yes, those those five awakenings like you're talking about, they will come to those points, but he's dealing with them very, very personally. And I love that about this book that you you are literally taking them through that journey. And what, what I found really uh, powerful, probably the most powerful thing, kind of the, uh, the biggest takeaway for me, um, something I've never thought to ask somebody, was when you said, go back in your journey and ask yourself, when did I forget God? When did I get spiritual amnesia? That blew my mind when I read that. And then you got people going, yeah. When I was a kid, I did believe it, and you're connecting with them on that level. I found that particularly powerful. I don't know where that came from, but um, that was that was that was big. I'm, big. No, I'm sure we stole it from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I figured, you know, it was like it was too uh, big no, for, I for
2: mean, guys I like you me. It's like an identity question because we I, in the book we used. The, I don't know if you remember the story of Elizabeth Smart, and Elizabeth Smart was, of course, the. I forgot how old she was now, but was was kidnapped yeah and what do they call it the uh um syndrome oh, um yeah i yeah, know i know what you mean yeah stockholm syndrome and she the stockholm she began to identify with her captors and i think that's what happens with us is we forget and sometimes the church actually reinforces this forgetfulness that this i don't know this is how this goes with people but all of us are children of god yeah we're all god's kids Okay, and some of us have chosen to be at a distance and out of a relationship, and all of us are in this kid. And when we forget our true identity, who we really are, okay, then everything gets screwed up. And we actually yeah. begin, like the Smart talked about, even the point in time, a few moments in either in the news or in the book, but actually the cops found her, and the cops even said, I think you're that, Elizabeth Smart. And she still denied it, said, No, I'm not. Mm, so I'm not. Wow. And you identify with something other than you who you truly are and you've forgotten who you really are and you really are God's child. And once you remember who you are, then it's a lot easier to, of course, as a child find your way back home.
1: But again, we're talking about, you know, reaching people where they're at and taking them on that journey. This this book is like a map and compass for people to find their way back to God, honestly. And when you're talking about, you know, hey, you know, we're all children of God, I mean, Paul's standing in the Areopagus he uses that same terminology because he's talking to, to people that are they're not Jews and they've never set foot inside of a synagogue they're pagan as all get out but he says we are all his offspring he's calling yep. to that he's he's reaching into that part and and he's not there giving the distinction between you know you're regenerate not regenerate that that's not that has no place in that conversation at that moment and i think what the book effectively does is it it reaches people no matter what stage of the journey they're going to connect all the way through and it's its whole goal is to bring you home and 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 you don't hold any punches i looked at the end of the book as i'm working through it i'm like no this is all this is where you would bring it it reminded me of conversations i would have and just like paul at the end of the the sermon on mars hill he doesn't give him the astronaut uh, gospel capsule he very much meets them where they're at. He uses, you know, the, the unknown God. It's very general. He goes into history, geography. He brings it all back. He, he connects with them. That Look, you've come from God. You need to get back to God. And then what happens is at the end, he, he's left it open. They say, we want to hear more about this. And so you know there's going to be another conversation. And I think this book, it's not a one-stop shop. It's literally like, and, and you do this in the beginning. You, you say to them, and this is powerful, uh, maybe you want to talk about this, but the 30 day wager, I loved that where you say, this is what we want. We want to make a wager with you that if you will commit to praying, you know, and I don't, I don't know how exactly that looks for each person, but if you'll commit to praying, we guarantee you in 30 days, you will, you know, so maybe you want to talk about the 30 day wager.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's one one of my favorite parts of the book and it's been already cool to see some of the things that have happened. Um, and so Blaise Pascal, one of the great minds of Western civilization, and he used to challenge other intellects with uh, what he called Pascal, what's now called Pascal's Wager, which was basically, okay, why not go ahead and act as if God is real and see if he doesn't reveal himself? And he would say, because you have everything to gain and you have nothing to lose. Right. Everything to lose. And so based on that premise, we we told people that, and based on, the so really the theological premise that God really is in pursuit of all of us, and He is this 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 father who longs for us to come home. That if we sincerely seek Him, we'll find Him. And we said, you know what? If you will pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to you, That we believe that God will reveal Himself to you if you if you are open to it, if your eyes awaken to that. And uh, so what we do is we actually give them five different prayers, uh, one, uh, one, one kind of every uh, every week. And over those 30 days, then uh, they pray those prayers. And really, um, it's, it's kind of like some of the stuff you were saying in the book, too, about the book, too. It's not, it's really giving them a chance to kind of bet on God, that God does love them enough, that if, he, if they will just give him just, just this much of a chance, he will show up in a, in a way that's undeniable in their life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, and that's, that's where it comes, it comes down to is see if God would turn up. See how God would turn up. And I love that because you're actually appealing to them interacting. Again, the book to me seems almost like you're, you're, you're getting out of their way. You're letting God be God. You're allowing God to be real to them. And you've, you've got stories all the way through of people who encountered God, people who weren't yeah. necessarily looking, didn't even always know that they were lost but had that and then had those series of awakenings. It's powerful, man. And Dave, you know, for, for our listeners, again, I feel like they, they need no introduction to you. But, um, if, if this is your first time encountering Dave, Dave is a church planter. Uh, uh, I would say a reproducer of church planter, a multiplication church planting church pastor, and, uh, just has a passion. So, uh, if you're a church planter and you're diehard, this is a guy that's earned, uh, your respect commands your attention and definitely has uh, gotten his chops in church planning. So Dave um, it's been awesome to have you on here and uh, Pete's got a burning question for you. Um, something that needs to be settled once and for all that we ask at the end of every single episode of hardcore church planning.
2: Right. And, uh, Before we go there, can I put in a plug for something? Absolutely. Yeah, most definitely. Definitely. I think probably uh, church planners and church leaders like Um, with our book, Finding Your Way Back to God, book, one of the things we just did the series at community, and if any any churches decide to do the series, want to do the series, um, we have we, we do all our manuscripts, our teaching word for word, so we have a word for we have word for manuscripts for all five weeks of the series. We have awesome. videos. We also have uh, like a PowerPoint you know kind of template, uh, graphics, um, all the stuff, all the all the good, whatever they want. If they, they can actually go to yourwayback.org, yourwayback.org. And, and one of the offers there will be church resources. And so we'll give them all those things if they sign up there. Um, part of it is just, I mean, you talk about church planning. Part of the reason I love church planning, I'm convinced it's the best way yep. to help people find a way back to God. And if their heart beats fast, that kind of stuff. This is a great series. We just, we just finished it up week before last. On the last weekend, we had 200, 200, 231 people. They got baptized, which was just a last wow. weekend. And, um, so anyway, but that's that's for them if they if they, if they want to do the series.
1: Well, that actually sounds pretty cool for Refuge Long Beach. We're coming we're coming to the end of a of a Roman stint, so that would be hot for us, man. But that's awesome. Okay, so yourwayback.org. dot org and Pete, hit them with your question, man.
0: Yeah, so Dave, here's what everybody really wants to know. Your uh, co-author, John Ferguson, for Finding Your Way Back to God, Five Awakenings to Your New Life, which just as a side plug, you can find on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. Nice, Pete.
1: <laughs> Nicely done.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I can actually do something. When you let me talk, it's kind of fun.
1: Yeah,
0: you, Pete, you didn't even get a word in. I think Peyton asked all the questions. It's kind I of did. the way it is with Peyton.
2: Kind of like David John. What's up with that?
0: I know. So but here's the question that everyone wants to know. If you and John were to get into a physical fist fight, who would oh, win? Yeah.
2: Oh, I would totally kick his butt.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what I'm talking about, baby.
0: Seriously. <laughs> did you doubt? There's there's did no even. That? There's no there's no question on that one. That's oh, the answer. Yeah. Oh. Well, Although, if, uh, getting, uh,
1: uh, sorry, sorry, go ahead.
2: Here's what here's Jeff. John would refute it, but the thing he always, if, you're, if you've been around John, John, he's kind of a skinny dude, but he's pretty, but he always says, I may not win the fight, but you'll wish you had not fought. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: this is obviously, uh, now, for those of you that don't know, John is Dave's brother, so there's a sibling rivalry going on, but uh, do either of you know martial arts? Is there any kung fu or karate involved at all?
2: No, no martial arts at all. There is a, there is a uh, kind of a sidebar Cub-White Sox rivalry that, that we go back and forth on a lot. So that, that, is, that's, yeah. that,
1: that just poisons the, the barb, that's all.
2: And the reason you know
0: I would win the fight is because I'm the White Sox fan.
1: <laughs> right on, right on. Well, Pete, did you want to ask him a bonus one?
0: Well, the bonus question, of course, is this. And you need to understand, we did ask Tim Ketchum the same question. Okay. If you were to get into a fight with Alan Hirsch, who would win that one?
2: Alan Hirsch. (laughs) (laughs) He might talk me to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's only half your weight, right? Oh half a John can take Alan Hirsch.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's he's only all of like ninety pounds, right? I mean, you know.
2: Now, the Australian you don't want to mess with is Kim Ham.
1: Oh, you know Kim. Man. I know Kim, yeah. yeah.
2: I don't he, know, man. Ben and I put together.
1: I don't know about Frosty, though. Frosty kind of scares me. He seems like he's almost like an old Shallon monk or something, you know? It's hidden under there. Yeah, yeah you're right. Now, he, he just seems me. He seems like he's part of the Australian mafia. You know, he's like the yeah. Aussie mafia coming out, you know, like he's the godfather. Like yeah. he'll send his boys after him. you, kind of deal. I love the dude, but you're right. You're, you're right. He would Of all those guys, I would rather mess with him before Frosty. You're right. Yeah, and Frosty Frosty would ice you, man. He would fight to kill. He okay, would, here's he the would one walk away from it.
2: From it. Oh, like so the whole missional crowd there. Who's the toughest? Who do you least
0: want to take on? Well, Peyton Ooh, can't take he's on he's anyone. You've seen Peyton, right? He's a hey, runner.
1: Hey, scrappy dude. I may be small. You're a runner, man.
0: You can outrun anybody. Right. Come on,
2: Pete. Who is it? Who is it? The who's,
0: who's, 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 who's that you least want to go into a cage match with? Ooh. Who is it, Pete? Um, probably Brad.
2: Brad Briscoe, probably. No, I'm saying Hugh Halter. I don't want to mess with you.
1: Oh, oh, hey, good call. Yeah, good call. I think Hugh I would, would be tough. right on
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> Does he do? Marshall but I, I got a feeling though that, that Hugh at the end would give you a big hug. Yeah, after he <laughs> Yeah, once you're done, he'd come up and give you a big hug, though. So you'd feel what? good about it. And he'd probably
1: cry a little because I, I, I'm watching Hugh. He's got a little sensitive side in him. He'd probably cry and go, I'm sorry, man. I love you, man. You know, let's go get a beer. That, that yeah. would be Hugh, I think. Yeah. Then you'd be yeah. best friends with him.
2: <laughs> and then he'd tell the story to the next conference.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if he catches his plane, that's all I'm saying. There you go hey hey Dave this has been awesome this has been an epic smack talk at the end here boom I would I would say uh, Dave bumped it up to a new level he did so hey yourwaybacktogod.org, back to God.org and uh, or your way back right? Dot org and uh, this you has been it. Dave Ferguson we've been discussing his book finding your way back to God again you can go and you can get that teaching series on there Dave thanks for having you and uh, you. yeah and Arnold's gonna sign us out remember if you are called to church planting go hardcore or go home
0: you've been listening to hardcore church planning hardcore church planning has been brought to you by the church planner podcast and the church planner magazine which is available in the app store for both apple and android devices if you like this episode leave us a positive review if you didn't like this episode we'll be happy to give you your money back